have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them. We're going to look at a lot of verses, or different verses, so have your word prepared. And we're talking about killing sin, and we may come back to this a little bit after World Outreach, but this kind of uh, brings a, a final kind of point to what we've been talking about. If you look at your notes, we've been talking about John Owen's quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I kind of re, uh, not kind of, I did. I rearranged our points to where they build, build in your notes. And so if you look at that, if you can say, I'd be killing sin, here's what you should be doing if you're killing sin. And you first have to acknowledge the spiritual battle and then accept the ground rules when you are tempted. God is good. You're responsible for your sin. Deliverance is possible. And then make sure you've dealt with your past. That is so critical, and I hope you've done that. And then focus on, keep, begin with the end in mind. Focus on God's ultimate purpose, which is to transform us into the likeness of the image of His Son. So it's not about don't do this, don't do that. It's not just about focusing on killing sin. It's about becoming more like Christ. But to do that, you've got to live the crucified life. And we talked about Romans 6 and our union with Christ. Know, reckon, yield, present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And then we have to continue to begin the process. And this is where you really begin the process. Replace and renew. You've got to put off the old man Put on the new man. This is who I am in Christ. Old Chris is dead and crucified. I am dead to sin. The new Chris is alive to God. And I need to renew and then replace old habits with new godly ones. But to do that, you've got to do it in the power of the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And we talked about the Spirit. And so you have... The Father's desire to make us like Christ. You have the Son dying, taking on our sin, raising in victory. And you've got the indwelling Spirit. This is a triune God. It's a Trinitarian effort in killing sin. And God is with you in it. The result is you're going to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So I hope that's helped you. I hope that is becoming a part of your renewal every day, and you're seeing victory. You're having greater victory over sin. And when you don't, you know what to do and how to move on from that. Now, the question is, now what? What do we do now? Well, there's only one thing. Go buy a a, a pair of Nikes and just do it. Just do it. It's time to just do it even when you don't feel like it. And so what I want to talk about this, this morning is where emotions enter in to this issue of dealing with sin because emotions are so huge in when it comes to living for the Lord. And so let's look at this. And this is just simple introduction uh, in going through this. I realize, you know what, I need to really develop my own theology of 
of emotions and of feelings. I'm, I'm, I'm weak on, on what is God saying about that. The Puritans were big on it. They talked about the affections. So here's what I want to do. First thing I want us to see, we need to put feelings into perspective. We need to get God's perspective on our feelings. Putting feelings in perspective from God's perspective, all right? And so the first thing I think we need to begin with is Genesis 1.26. We are made in God's image, right? We are made in God's image. And when you look at Genesis 1.26, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But what I want you to see is the Trinitarian hints, the hints of the Trinity, when God speaks, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And what I want to show you is that God the Son God the Spirit and, the God, and God the Father all demonstrate emotions. They all have emotions. So let's take a look at that. God the Son. What is perhaps the most famous verse that helps us understand that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, had emotions? Jesus wept. Yeah, the uh, uh, two-word shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept over Lazarus's death. He wept as the incarnate Son of God. Isaiah 53, 3 says this about Jesus, the coming Messiah. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows. Think about what that means, a man of sorrows, meaning he was deeply connected to being sad and experiencing sadness if you have a deep sadness that just aches away in your heart jesus understands jesus knows he was a man of sorrows not only that he was well acquainted with grief grief and sorrow and then matthew 25 21 it's not all sadness for jesus his master said to him well done good and faithful slave you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into my, my joy. My joy. Jesus has great joy. Okay? Uh, in fact, uh, John 15, 11 says this. Jesus is speaking. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So he not only experienced this, he wants you to take your emotions, your joy to a higher level. He wants to complete your joy. Isn't that, that that's, that's cool. I think he's into emotions. I think he understands. And then God the Spirit. Just last week, we looked at Ephesians 4.30 briefly that says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't, don't grieve him. Don't upset him. Don't frustrate him. Don't, don't make him 
sad over your sin and not frustrated in the sense of, oh, I don't know what to do with this sinner, but just he it just grieves him. He dwells in us and his number one characteristic is holiness. So when we sin, it grieves him. He's there when we do it. Number um, Galatians 5.22. What's the first three fruits of the Spirit? Do what? Love, joy, peace. Now, all of those, every one of those, has a function of the will. You can choose to have joy in spite of circumstances. You can choose to have peace in spite of, uh, you know, volatility and, and circumstances that are upsetting. You can choose to love even when you don't feel like loving. But sometimes we so emphasize that aspect, we forget that there's still an emotional aspect. Love, joy, peace. So it isn't, I choose to love you, Denise. I have no emotion in it. You know, No, no, there, there's emotion in love and joy and peace, even when we choose and determine to do it. So God the Spirit, emotions. Thirdly, God the Father. And man, there's all sorts of things we have here. Genesis 6, 6 says, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart, just as the Holy Spirit grieves. Makes sense. They're one God, three persons. 1 John 4, 8 says, The one who does not love does not go know God, for God is what? Love. He's love. And again, that is an attribute. We'll talk about that here in a moment, but still... There is emotion there. Psalm 5.5 says this, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. We talked about this in our grow group last week, whether love the, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner is totally accurate. Well, here we have, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. That is a strong Emotion, Psalm 11, 5, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. And then Zephaniah three seventeen. it's not all hate and it's not all love, there's joy. Zephaniah three seventeen. the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you. I mean, that's a strong word. He will exult over you with joy. He will renew you in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Isn't that great? And so there's, there's just emotion in our God. And what that means is we are made in his likeness, right? And so we could go on. Uh, you can look in the Bible. God, uh, God has emotions of anger, compassion, grief, love, hate, jealousy, and joy. Now, in your notes, I have stop to Selah. Okay, Selah means to pause and reflect. Let's stop here a moment and just let me uh, say a couple things. First of all, you've heard me say many times, God is large and in charge. What's that mean? He's transcendent. He is unlike us. He is totally unlike. He is unlike anything and everything. He is large and in charge. He's overall, he's transcendent. But he's also near to here. 
And the big word for that is eminence. You wonder why I come up with these things, because I'm a simple guy. I've got to figure out what this means, and i got to communicate it. So he's large and in charge, unlike us, and yet he's near to here. He's eminent, and he can relate, and he can be like us. We can be like him in certain ways. Other ways, we cannot be like him, because only he is God. So he is those two things. Now, that means that we can't start with our emotions and then project them onto God and say, that's how God loves. Look around at human love, that's how God loves. No, we've got to start with God and say that we are like Him in His emotions in a limited and certain way. Second thing I want you to think about is God's demonstration of emotions does not alter his unchanging character and purposes. So when we say God experiences these emotions, he isn't riding the wave of emotions like you and I do, right? I'm this, and then I'm this, I'm high and low. I mean, how many, how many can say, hey, I've experienced, I've experienced highs, lows, high lows several times in one day? You may not want to raise your... Yeah, okay, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and, and if you don't do it several times, at least every day, okay? And that's how we are. That's not how God is in his emotions, okay? His character is unchanging. Thirdly thing I want you to see is God's demonstration of emotions are always expressed sinlessly because they're rooted in his holy character. So when God's angry, he's still holy. When God's joyful, he's still holy. When God hates sin and judges sinners, he is still holy. So his motions don't drag him around. No, his unchanging character stabilizes and roots and grounds his emotions. I like this verse from James 1.17. I think I have it in your notes. Every good thing... Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And you can write there in your notes or your Bible, this includes my emotions. This includes my emotions. My emotions are part of my likeness in the image of God, and they are a good gift. And sometimes we don't hear that enough in church, okay? They're a good gift. But notice what the next thing James says. With whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. His character does not change, even though he experiences these emotions. So let me give you two truths concerning God and emotion. So I, I kind of, you know, we took a little route into theology there. I pretty much exhausted my knowledge in whatever I just said. Now, here's just two good truths to keep in mind, okay? And the first one is this. Our triune God understands our emotions. Why? Because he created us with this capacity. So when you're on that roller coaster of your emotions, and you're like, why do I feel this way? What is happening with me? Does God understand? Yes. Yes. Because he gave you that capacity. Secondly, our triune God never changes and his emotions flow from his holy perfection. Okay? 
So we don't start with whatever we're feeling and project that onto God. We start with a holy God who is unlike us, yet He is like us. He has emotions, but they're rooted in holy perfection. And our next point is going to show us our emotions are not rooted in this. They're from God, and they're a good gift, but what has happened to us? What has happened? The fall. The fall. We have sinned. And so here's the second point about emotions, uh, getting them into perspective. So God created them, but sin has distorted our emotions. So they're a good gift from God. They're part of our likeness in God, yet sin has distorted our emotions. And when we talk about sin, we think about the three enemies. The enemy within is the flesh. The enemy enemy around is the world. And the enemy above is what? The prince of the power of the air? The devil. So you've got an enemy above, devil, around, the world, and enemy within the flesh. So all three of those work against you in your emotions. All right? Are you with me? So the first thing is this. The flesh will misdirect your feelings. The flesh will misdirect your feelings. Instead of offering feelings up to God in worship, He will get you to focus self on your feelings. And you'll analyze, and what am I feeling now? And what am I feeling? Why, why, why? Focus on feelings rather than focusing on God and offering your emotions as, a, as an act of worship. Think about Galatians 5.17. In fact, you can turn there in your Bibles. Galatians 5.17. Uh, we're going to look at 17, 18, and 19. So look at uh, Galatians 5.17. And notice what it says. For the flesh sets its desire. Okay, desire includes the will, but it includes feelings sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. The flesh will get your feelings, will misdirect your feelings to where you don't do what you really want to do. You won't do what you really want to do. You won't feel like it. How many of you thought that? I, don't, I know what I ought to do, but I don't feel like it. Uh, Galatians, drop down to uh, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are... Now, as I read this list, think about how emotions are tied to so much of this. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, a lot of feeling in that. Idolatry, sorcery. Enmities, that's arguments and conflicts, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, there's an emotion, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned, I keep telling you this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. So the flesh wants to get your emotions directed in a way to where you will do things that are characterized by those that don't inherit the kingdom of God. So even though 
You may be a believer in Christ, destined for the kingdom. The flesh is trying to use your emotions to get you to live in an unkingdom way. All right? Uh, we could go on. Number two, devil. The devil will tempt us with our feelings, right? He will tempt us with our feelings. Think about the original temptation we looked at uh, in the first lesson in this series. When Satan tempted Eve, what happened to Eve? He got her to look at the forbidden fruit and she saw that the tree was good for food. Hey, I bet you that's, I bet you that's tasty. Maybe I should try that. And it was a delight to the eyes. Just looking at it makes me happy. Okay, emotions. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. I'd like to feel wise. I'd like to be wise. Emotions are all in this. And he's tempting him. And if you doubt what I'm saying, think about Jesus in the wilderness when he went through the same temptations that Adam and Eve did, same temptations that the nation of Israel did. Here's what Satan the tempter did, Matthew 4.2. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, how hungry would you be? What would you be feeling like? Well, many things. <laughs> Tired, weak, hungry. And what does he come and do? And then the text just says he became hungry. He became hungry. And it's, it's almost like Jesus was able to fast for 40 days and not be hungry almost, or, you know, he was battling that. But the moment he felt hungry, the moment he became hungry, and the tempter came right at that moment and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. What's he doing? He's tempting him with his emotions. Right. And they would bake bread uh, that would look like the stones that were laying in the wilderness. Right. They didn't have a, a, a sliced wonder bread. They baked bread in these round circulars that looked like stones. So he's saying, hey, look at that stone there. Pretty hungry, aren't you? You know, it's almost like he's having a mirage of those stones could be bread. All I have to do is say the word. That's the temptation. And then thirdly. The world will exploit our feelings. The world will exploit our feelings. And probably the classic passage for this, turn your Bibles to 1 John 2. 1 John chapter 2. <coughs> and notice what it says. Verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here they are, and it's the same thing that Eve experienced in the garden that Jesus was tempted by but defeated in the wilderness. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The world is passing away. Also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever, exploiting our feelings in order to drive us away from God. So God created our emotions for his glory and our good. Sin has distorted them, misdirects us, it tempts us, 
and we are exploited by them. But here's the third thing about perspective, and it's this. Believers can choose not to live by your emotions. You can choose, as a believer, not to be a slave of your emotions. And it basically, the process is like this. Right thinking leads to right living, leads to right feeling. If you lead with your emotions, you're going to typically go down a wrong path. I know there's some emotions or some theologians, John Piper in particular, that, that doesn't like this order, but, I, but there it is. And you know why I think it's biblical? Because of what we've already learned. In Romans 6, to battle sin, in Romans 6, Paul says, Know and reckon. Remember how we talked about how knowledge was so... Know, reckon. And then he says, what after you know and reckon, what do you do? You yield. Well, that's right living. And then... Well, you know, in other places he talks about emotions, but when he's talking about battling sin, he starts with right thinking, which is biblical thinking. And if you notice in this series, we've done at least two lessons on renewing your mind because this is critical. Now, thank God that we're filled with the Spirit, therefore love, joy, peace. There's a joy and there's a happiness. I think what... Uh, John Piper's pushing against is we just don't go through life as stoic robots that say, I love God, I will do what's right no matter what I feel. You know, and, and let's be honest, sometimes that's what we get the feeling, that we're being told, deny your feelings, ignore your feelings. Feelings are last, they'll come over time. Well, that, that's not what I'm trying to say. But at the same time, you've got to know, put feelings in their proper perspective. That's all I'm saying. All right? And I think the no reckon yield shows you the order that it could be. Notice in your notes, it says this. Growing disciples who are killing sin choose to become character-based versus emotion-based. You know, whatever else I'm saying, from a practical standpoint, I think these two columns prove true. If you're going to live, if you're going to start living life here, I don't think you'll ever get here or here. If you start living life here, you're going to have wrong living. And over time, we're going to see in a moment, wrong living leads to wrong thinking. All right. So look at those two columns and say, which one most characterizes me? Okay. Now, you don't have to share this with your neighbor, but if they know you well, they already know which column you're in, so you don't have to tell them. But you need to know. Notice the emotion-based person. I want you to circle some words. So on the emotion-based person, they're convenience motives motivated. Circle convenience. Convenience motivated. Number two, they do what is easiest. Circle easiest. Instead of what is right. Look at number three. When I feel good... I will do it. When does that day come? <laughs> not very, not, it doesn't, right? Rather, when I do it, and I should probably correct that, I will or, uh, or I may or will eventually feel good. Because just because you do the right thing doesn't mean, again, that there's instant joy in the doing. 
But, and here's where I think Piper's coming from, but if you do the right thing in the leading of the Spirit, even though you can feel still miserable, there is a deeper sense of peace and joy. There are emotions, even when there are these other emotions, right? And, or am I just saying I'm bipolar and you're just looking at me? But, yeah, you can be miserable and happy at the same time as a Christian. Are you with me? You can be miserable and happy. I've done it. In fact, much of life has lived that way as a Christian. Okay? We live in a broken world. I mean, just the burden of what may be happening on a global scale to individual lives right now in this global moment is burdensome, is it not? And yet, i got to be careful, and you got to be careful. You don't let that determine your joy, your peace, your love that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. You can't do it. That, that, you can't do it on your own. Four, controlled by moods, circle, circle moods versus controlled by priorities. Five, selfish mindset. Circle that, selfish, versus a servant mindset. Lips in life don't agree. Lips in life do agree. Circle don't agree. Looks for excuses. Looks for solutions. Externally influenced. Internally influenced. Quits during tough times. Continues during tough times. Emotion-based people are whiners and character-based people are winners in God's eyes. That's just true. So there's the perspective, all right? Now, what happens if I don't live a character-based life? What happens if I don't kill sin even when I don't feel like it? Let's look at the pitfalls of choosing to live by your feelings. The pitfalls of choosing to live by your feelings. Well, we've already hit number one. It's an invitation to disobey God and His Word. Look, if you live by your feelings, they will 99% of the time lead you down a path of disobedience. All right? Number two, leads you to base your doctrines on feelings also. If you start living by feelings, you'll eventually change your doctrine to match your feelings. Think about this. If you don't feel saved long enough and focus on the feelings of not being saved, you will conclude, I am not saved. Even though the Word of God may confirm to you that you are. If you think and feel spiritual... Even though you're living in sin, you say, do people live that way? Yeah, yeah, they do. I, I'm so, I feel spiritual doing this sin. Eventually, you'll say that sin is what? Not sin. This, listen, feelings, living by feelings begins to change your doctrine. And I cannot tell you the sad stories I could tell you about lay people and about men with PhDs in theology and Bible who have changed their beliefs based on their feelings. And let me give you two common reasons. This is what I've observed, and I, 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 just, I think it's true. Number one, personal sin. Here's what happens. Godly people begin to live a hidden life of sin. And if you live that hidden life of sin long enough, 
the tension of your behavior not matching your beliefs will force you to do one of two things. What? Repent of the sin or change your beliefs to match your behavior. Personal sin. So when you see someone, man, they taught so faithfully, and now they're uh, an atheist. Now they're a universalist. Or now they're just living in sin after preaching the word for so long. How could that happen? I'm telling you, it didn't happen overnight. It's a slow fade. Who sang that? Casting crowns? It's a slow fade. And what happens is you have that personal sin, and after a while you have to change. And then when they don't repent... And they leave the faith because they want their beliefs to now match their behavior. So personal sin. Number two, profound suffering. Profound suffering. When men or women radically change their doctrine, when they've known biblical doctrine, been taught biblical doctrine, if it's not personal sin, then they have encountered profound, real and profound suffering. And instead of going to the book of Job, And lamenting before God how painful this is, even if it may never change. And submitting to God, who is sovereign over my suffering, and yet he is good and wise and compassionate. Isn't that what Job did? By the end of it, he said, shut my mouth. You're God. I'm not. You're wiser than me. You're greater than me. You're more compassionate than me. I will just trust you in my suffering. And listen, when, when you don't do that, then you begin to change. Well, okay, if this suffering's so bad that if God allowed it, he must not be good. So I'm going to reject it. Or I'm going to change what Job said. I, I, I've, I've read comment, when, we, when I taught through Job, I read a commentary on Job and just broke my heart, a, com, a, a, a theologian who had his daughter die. At a, at a, you know, a, their daughter died. And it just broke his heart so much that when he comes to Job, where Job says, Blessed be the Lord, he gives and he taketh away, he says, Job was wrong in that because you could never bless God when you have that much sorrow. I mean, it's right there. I'm, I'm just reading it in print. You know, Job was wrong at the beginning and he got straightened out at the end. No, Job was right at the beginning and he just had to work through his anguish and his pain and the sovereignty of God and realize I can trust him. So I I throw that out there for these two things because we will do that. Third, we... It develops the sin of procrastination in your life. Look at the sluggard. The sluggard in Proverbs never does anything if he doesn't feel like it. Okay, if you live by emotions, you're going to procrastinate. Number four, results in a life of spiritual defeat and depression. Because you're doing what you feel, you're living by your emotions when you know better as a Christian. And it just creates a horrible bondage bondage so spiritual defeat what are some feelings so we're talking about killing the habit of sin right killing the stubborn uh habits of sin the besetting sin the sin that you are struggling the the it's just always you're always tempted and maybe you get defeated more than you get victory what are some feelings you have to overcome or face in that battle 
What are some feelings? And throw them out there. We won't assume they're your feelings. Just help contribute. So you're battling sin and you're, you keep getting defeated. What are some feelings that you have to overcome? Despair. Despair. Thank you. Very good. What else? Frustration. Frustration. Depression. Depression. What else? Apathy. 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 Why keep at that? I just feel, I just, I, I, I feel drained, right? I feel defeated. What else? Hopelessness, yes. I, well, I mean, and, and, and I'm talking about believers who know Christ is victor, but you're still living in that defeat. All these feelings begin to grow and take over if you don't apply this lesson that we're talking about. So how do you do? Oh, how about unworthiness? You begin to feel deeply unworthy. These are all feelings. <coughs> so... After putting feelings in their proper perspective, and after being warned of the pitfalls, what do I do? Just do it. That's the third point. Just do it. Do it anyway. Do it even though you don't feel like it. And here's just six steps. One, admit your feelings to God. Admit your feelings to God. When Jesus went to the garden, tempted to not go to the cross... He fall, fell on his face before God, bloody sweat going from his brow. And it says he began to be grieved and distressed. Let me tell you, he told God about it. Admit your feelings to God. He already knows anyway, right? But it helps you to lament. I mean, you can see the Psalms. Look at the lament Psalms. David just pours out his feelings to the Lord. Number two, ask for others to pray for you and with you. Again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what Jesus said. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm tempted to let my feelings determine the will of God in my life. Would you pray with me? Beautiful. Number three, affirm that the Father's acceptance of you is not based on how you feel, but faith in the facts of God's word. <coughs> As we go through Romans 6 and 7, we get to Romans 8, and there's just that beautiful passage that nothing can separate us from the love of God. All the circumstances, all the feelings... If I am in Christ, then I am in Christ. Affirm that. Number four, anticipate the blessings that will follow in be obedience. Anticipate the blessings, and I would even say the feelings that will follow obedience. Where do I get this? Think about Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross. He focused on the joy on the other side of overcoming temptation. Okay? And just like we listed what feelings, what can we anticipate feelings on the other side of obedience? Joy? Victory? Confidence? Confidence in Christ? But even a confidence, hey, I can, I can trust Christ and overcome this. What about thankfulness? What about peace? What about fulfillment? 
What about self-respect? What about a clear conscience and a stronger will? All this is on the other side when you obey. And then number five, act in obedience by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to believe, uh, to please God. You've got to, what, regardless of your feelings, exercise faith in your obedience. And then number six, acknowledge God's goodness and grace despite of circumstances and feelings. So, in a sense, we've come full circle to where God is always good. And God is good all the time. So, I end with this. Look at the verse. It's in your notes. <coughs> Excuse me. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man... And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it, no matter what you feel. All right? So, brief little theology of feelings as it relates to killing sin. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the feelings you have given us in the likeness of you, your son, your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the the deep abiding joy and just the the feeling of love. Uh, When you see a family member that you deeply are moved by and love, just all of this, Lord, is a good gift. But I pray for each of us, whether it's the joy of anticipating wedding, anticipating marriage, anticipating a firstborn, whatever the feelings we have in this room, and there's a wide scale of them. Fearful and joy, worry and anxiety, pain and happiness, all of this. Lord, may we put that into perspective and may we not become enslaved to our feelings. I I pray, Lord, there's been victory in this series. And I pray that we can enter into world outreach in the next couple weeks uh, with a clear conscience and with a sense of forgiveness and cleansing as we gain more victory in the battle over our besetting sin. I pray this, Lord, for your glory in the name of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. 